All right, Alexander, let's do an update on what is going on in Ukraine. What is going on in Ukraine? Uh, the, the big story, I think, is that uh, the New York Times is reporting that Ukraine's big push is happening right now. That's, exactly. That's the word. And they're giving it one, what did they say, one to three weeks according to those anonymous officials. So I think that's the big uh, big picture story that, that we can talk about. And of course, you can get into the details. So uh, what is your view of the New York Times' is, uh, is article citing White House uh, officials as they always Well, do? I think that is exactly what we're seeing. Now, we've seen up to, you know, over the last couple of days, a whole series of statements from Ukrainian officials and American officials that actually the really big push, the really big, Part of the offensive hasn't yet happened. We're going to have it happen anytime soon. What all these attacks on the front lines have been all about is, just, you know, softening up the Russians, depleting their uh, stockpiles of ammunition, wearing them down so that the big push can come. And you could see exactly what's happened. The administration has been extremely frustrated about the fact, the fact that the offensive has not been going well. There have been all kinds of complaints from all sorts of people about the fact that Ukraine isn't following the wonderful advice about combined arms attacks, that, you know, mass attacks that the Ukrainians should be undertaking. There is a leak, an obviously intentional leak, of an assessment by the German military, the Bundeswehr, that, you know, again, Ukraine isn't following the advice properly, and the result is that their offensive isn't being as successful as it ought to be. So the Ukrainians, under an awful lot of pressure, promised to try again, to go back to the original tactics that we saw at the beginning of June, which failed catastrophically. And yesterday, just as that New York Times article was coming out, and clearly in coordination with it, we did see a big Ukrainian armoured push yesterday. They sent 100 armoured vehicles, about half of them apparently tanks, lots of supporting infantry towards the Russian front lines, exactly as they did in June. And the results were the same as in June. I mean, they were thrown back. They got pushed back in every single place where they attacked. Hundreds of armoured, well, dozens of armoured vehicles were destroyed according to the Russians. And the Russians, I think the general consensus now is that they're accurate, at least in reporting equipment losses by Ukraine. Over 20 tanks destroyed. One report says 31 tanks destroyed, but let's settle for 20. Large numbers of other armoured vehicles also destroyed. More photos of burning uh, armoured vehicles littering the landscape. And surprise to surprise, Today, another, a further article, this time in the Washington Post, different set of officials. So they don't know anything about this big Ukrainian push. What they're seeing at the moment is no different from what they've seen before. So you can see what you could see what was playing out, that Ukraine was pushed hard to try to get this offensive restarted or rebooted, if you prefer. It didn't work yesterday. Uh, there's been more attacks today, but they're apparently on a smaller scale. And uh, the result is that there's an attempt today in the Washington Post to row back the story. 
bit late because it was all over the international media yesterday. Uh, that New York Times article was picked up by The Guardian, The Telegraph in London, by the German media, by the media in France. It was all over the world today because the attack yesterday failed. They're rowing it back. Now, that's the story overall in terms of the offensive. There's been more fighting at the Vremevsky Ledge, which is one slightly separate area on the southern front lines. It seems the Ukraine has made minor progress there in terms of the fact they've been able to enter one particular village, Staromarsk. Hardly a big breakthrough, especially given that they expected to capture the Vremevsky Ledge apparently on the first day, which was the 4th of June. And here we are, you know, on the 27th of July. And they're still fighting to clear the Russians from there. And apparently the fight isn't over. And the other big news, Bakhmut, apparently they've been pushed back. Very difficult to get clear news. But this village of Klesheyevka, they've been trying to capture it for months now, from the middle of May, in fact, before this offensive began. They, they apparently reached it. They entered it. Latest reports suggest they've been driven out of it. So not much success there. And the Russians are continuing their advance to the north. But as I said, the big headline story, the second big offensive, the real breakthrough, the offensive that was going to happen, it was a media narrative more than anything else. It was attempted yesterday. The first day, the first attempt at least of this has failed and the losses again have been horrendous. A media narrative, as it always is. It was, it it's always a media is. narrative. They're fighting a media war. But actually, uh, I have to correct you. Uh, 22 tanks. 22 tanks. Is what you said. But the, the reason that I'm doing this is because every tank is is huge for for Ukraine. I mean, that, that that's my question to you is they only have a, a, a set number of tanks. And obviously, we've talked about the ammunition on multiple uh, videos, they're doing all of this and they're not gaining ground. In some instances, they're losing ground in, in Kharkiv, in the Kharkiv region, and they're losing men and resources. This can't continue for, no. for a media, for a media narrative. No, this is the, this is the thing. So what, what does the administration do? Because this is the big question. Now, Various Russian officials have come forward and they say that they think, based on the ammunition expenditure and the manpower losses and the tank losses, and you're absolutely right, Ukraine has only a finite number of tanks. Now, it could recover some tanks, repair them, send them back into the battle. But over time, gradually, your tank fleet gets degraded and increasingly there's signs that that is exactly what's happening. So they can't keep this up. Apparently, so the Russians think, beyond the end of August. The end of August, in other words, about four weeks now, is about the final end point for which this can go. And, and that tallies, by the way, with what that New York Times piece was saying, that they were expecting you know, the breakthrough to take one to three weeks. So that gives you some idea of the time frame. What happens if it doesn't happen, if there's no breakthrough? at the end of August, I would say the Biden administration has a very, very difficult set of problems on its hands because at that point, it's starting to look like a debacle. So we've had 
a number of very interesting things happen. We've, one we've discussed many times, um, these warnings from Putin, the warnings from Lukashenko now, a Polish advance into Western Ukraine. It does look as if this is something that some people in Washington are now actively considering. The other side, and we've discussed this already, the other side is negotiations. And we have had the weirdest article, one of the weirdest articles I've ever read about this war, which is in the Moscow Times. Now, the Moscow Times is an English-language newspaper which used to be published in Moscow and was distributed there. But it was always, and it's important to stress this, Western-owned. It's now published in the Netherlands. <laughs> so it's actually not any longer circulating in Russia itself. It's an, it's an English-language newspaper based in the Netherlands, but it continues to cover Russian news from a very, very Western angle. Anyway, they claim that they've talked to an ex-US diplomat, stressed ex-US diplomat, not a current one. And he claims that those talks between Lavrov and Richard Haas and the other neocon foreign ex-diplomats, which began in April, that they've been continuing, that there's usually around two meetings a month. He claims that this particular person, he's anonymous, of course, claims that he's been traveling to Moscow regularly, that he's been meeting people there. But he complains he's not getting very far and that the Russians aren't giving much away. Now, if you read the article, it's not difficult to understand why, because this person, whoever he is, talks about the objectives of the negotiating team, if that is what it really is. And they come across to me as so arrogant, so completely off any sense of reality. Um, he's still, again, talking about forcing the Russians to distance themselves from the Chinese, break the Russian-Chinese alliance. He says that there's reassurances being given to the Russians that, you know, the US isn't actually looking to diminish Russia's position globally. <laughs> and he's also saying that, you know, the big obstacle to negotiations is Putin himself, and he's again floating the possibility of regime change in Russia, getting rid of Putin, putting someone else so that some kind of compromise can be achieved. I mean, all I can say is I I'm not even sure whether this story is even true in the sense that I'm sure there is an ex-diplomat who's telling these things. But, you know, I'm not sure whether we are really looking at any kind of discussion between the Americans and the Russians and that this isn't to some extent made up. But frankly, if there are discussions and if these people are talking to the Russians in this way, then you can easily see how these negotiations are completely deadlocked and are going nowhere. Now, the only thing I will say is that it may be that there is a desire to keep some kind of communications channel open. And if, as seems increasingly likely, in three or four weeks' time, we see that the offensive is petering out and it's made no significant gains. And if the Russian army is advancing in the north, well, perhaps, just possibly, you could get these negotiations 
activated and properly underway and perhaps try to, to find some kind of solution to this. But I'm not holding my breath. Victoria Newland has just been promoted. She's apparently been given her the second post that. of the State Department. So at the moment, it really doesn't look as if we're making much progress at all. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask you about Victoria Newland. I would like you to, to expand on that. What, what you think this means, Victoria Newland being the, the second in command after uh, Wendy Sherman's departure. But real quick, I just want to comment on what you said about uh, the, the Moscow Times article and, and your thoughts on, on what, I'm, what I'm about to say. Uh, maybe this is true. Maybe this is not. Maybe this ex-diplomat does exist. Maybe this article is made up. If the ex-diplomat exists and he's making these statements, what does that tell you about about the state of uh, of the of the diplomatic corps, whether current or former, in the collective West? The fact that they've now come that they've just done this whole full circle to come back to to the same stuff that we heard before the the SMO and during the first couple months of the SMO, Putin has to leave. Uh, we're not we're not looking to hurt you, Russia. We just okay. We we all we know the script. What does it tell you about, if this is indeed true, what does it tell you about the state of diplomacy in the West? If this is not true, and the Moscow Times is making this up, just as bad, because here you have this publication, which calls itself the Moscow Times, once again, talking about regime change, talking about how, uh, how this is, no, this is really all about China, and it's not really about uh, Russia, and let's find a way to work it out, but to work it out, you have to bow down to us. I mean, either way, you slice it or dice it, 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 it just shows that these people are thick. They're thick Absolutely. in the head. They, they haven't learned anything in a no. year and a half. And then I want you to elaborate on, on what you think uh, Newland's promotion, promotion yeah. what it means for, for Ukraine, for, uh, for Europe. Remember, she's F the EU, Newland. Europe should not forget that. She, 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 she doesn't particularly like the EU <laughs> either. She doesn't like Russia, obviously, but she's not too... Uh, to, to fond of the, of the European Union either, and, and what it may mean for China. Well, that's exactly correct. Can I just say straightforwardly, um, what you're saying about the Moscow Times article is, is, is absolutely right. It's disastrous in either way. Now, the first thing to say is that if this is the quality of diplomacy that the United States is, the only type of diplomacy that the United States is capable of, that they are unable to change their objectives, adjust to realities, well, it explains to you why the United States is losing positions around the world, why countries like Saudi Arabia have been antagonized, why countries like India are uh, so leery of getting too close to the United States, why the US position in the Middle East has collapsed, all of those things. This, this isn't diplomacy at all. It's basically saying, look, if we win, these are the terms we're going to dictate to you. If we lose, we're going to dictate to you exactly the same terms. We are not prepared, ultimately, to change our views on anything. I mean, all that we're prepared to do is to give you a few bromides about how actually, you know, really, we're not apt to get you at all, even though it's absolutely obvious that we are. I mean, not only are these people themselves stupid, which they self-evidently are, but they, they make the dangerous mistake 
of thinking that the Russians are stupid. <laughs> the Russians will be able to see right through all of this. So, I mean, that's one perspective of this. I mean, if this is a real negotiating strategy, it's not a negotiating strategy, it's a demand for capitulation. Capitulation where the Russia wins, capitulation where the Russia loses. I mean, it's crazy stuff. Now, the other thing is, I think we should face up to the possibility that this article is a plant and that there's no real negotiations going on and that this isn't really um, um, a real story at all. There's one thing about this story that makes me think that may be true. Well, quite apart from the fact that, as I said, the negotiations are discussed and it are surreal. But why, if you wanted to disclose this information publicly, would you go of all places to the Moscow Times? I <laughs> have a newspaper that hardly anybody reads. I mean, people like us read it from time to time, but the wider public isn't going to read it. People in um, New York, Washington, don't rush off and read the uh, Moscow Times. It could be that what this is intended to do, that this is an intelligence operation in order to try to create dissension within the Russian government. Because it says that there are some people in Russia that they've spoken to who um, think that the whole operation, the special military operation, was a mistake, that it's Putin himself who was the obstacle, that regime change is perhaps the way to do it, because, you know, if we can just get rid of this horrible man Putin, then everything will be... As always, you know, we, we, we'll go back to being friends again and all that. So I, I wonder, because the one place, the one group of people who perhaps do read the Moscow Times are some Russian oligarchs, both those ex in exile, perhaps even still a few in Russia itself, people like that, America's friends. Perhaps this is really intended more as a communication towards them whilst at the same time being in a, in a kind of a way an attempt to create dissension within Moscow itself to make Putin read this thing, say to himself, well, who are these people who are having these talks? Phone up Lavrov, asking him, what do you know about all of this? Worried that this man is meeting people, this diplomat, supposed diplomat, is meeting people who have all of these dangerous thoughts start some kind of investigation, create an atmosphere of tension and crisis in Moscow. I think that's an entirely plausible scenario. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dispute it at all. But if it is true, then again, coming back to what you said, we see that still they haven't learned anything because despite everything that's happened over the last year and a half, they're still trying to engineer regime change in Moscow. They're still stuck with these um, old policies. It's like a gramophone record, one of those old gramophone records, an LP, that gets stuck in the same groove. It can't go back. It can't go forward. It just repeats itself all the time. And, 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 that's, what, and that's what it looks like this article suggests the situation in the West now is. And that brings us back to Victoria Newland's promotion. Victoria Newland. Well, I mean, you remember what um, Jeffrey Sachs said about her at the last live we did with him, that she's there in every single administration, except Donald Trump's, by the way, but she's there all the time. 
she's always a person of influence, she's somebody who, I mean, I think it's universally acknowledged, absolutely hates Russia. I mean, she has a visceral an antagonism to Russia. Difficult for me to understand, but she absolutely does have it. She was the person who went to uh, Ukraine, gave out the cookies on Maidan Square, made it perfectly clear that she wanted the Yanukovych government overthrown, who picked the first cabinet that, uh, you know, and, and did it before Yanukovych had even been overthrown, picked the first cabinet for, uh, you know, the post-Maidan, the first post-Maidan uh, 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 pro-Western Ukrainian government. Um, and, I mean, she's viscerally opposed, obviously, to any real compromise or negotiation with Russia. And she's all but she's admitted in the past that she played a really that the US played a really big role in organizing this particular Ukrainian offensive that we were talking about. And um, I've even heard some people say that this is they call it apparently some people in Washington apparently call it the Vicky Newland offensive. So that gives you some idea of her mindset. Now, this person who also dislikes the EU and is utterly contemptuous of the EU and doesn't give a sausage, frankly, about the fate of Europe as, I mean, that, that conversation she had when she was picking the ministers with the US ambassador, Jeffrey Payette, in Kiev um, before Yanukovych fell, that was where she said, you know, the famous words, F the EU. She said them there. So she has utter content for the EU. She doesn't give it, doesn't care at all what happens to it. This person has now been promoted. She's now in a senior position, the second most senior position in the State Department. That tells you that the president, who obviously confirmed this decision, the Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, who made the decision as well, they remain as committed to their Ukraine policy as always. There is no softening within that core group, very small as it is, but very powerful around the president. There's no softening in their uh, determination to win out in some way over Russia. Despite their frustration, they've just forced Ukraine to resume its offensive in the old way with the catastrophic consequences we, that we've seen. And Newland's promotion either tells us why these negotiations in Moscow, if they're being described accurately, are going nowhere, or they tell us, what is perhaps slightly more plausible, that they're still trying to achieve regime change in Moscow, take control of Russia's government, perhaps break up the country, sever its alliance with China. So you can, you, you can see that we're stuck in the groove. We're not moving forward. And Newland's promotion just confirms that. Yeah, she's, uh, she's all about regime change. That's, that's her specialty. And uh, so, so obviously they're still committed, the Biden White House is still committed to regime change. But Wendy Sherman, who uh, Newland is taking over for, she was more focused on China. I, at least that was my perception of Sherman. She was more engaged with uh, with dealing with China. So in a way, this is the Biden White House, or at least this core group of people, these neocons in and around Biden, um, signaling that uh, China's still not in their, 
in their um, vision. It's, it's, it's something that they're not considering yet. They're still going to focus on, uh, on destroying Russia and, uh, and dealing with, with Russia first before they move on to China. Yeah, this is the great master plan, which they outlined in that article by uh, Wes Mitchell in the National Interest back in August 2021. The Chinese-Russian alliance is a problem, a really increasing problem. So what you do, you don't make any concessions. You don't uh, speak to the Chinese or the Russians. You it's work to break that alliance by breaking the party that's supposed to be the weaker part of that alliance, which is Russia, by organizing crisis in Russia through achieving some kind of victory in Ukraine. So the offensive must go on and the attempts to sow discord in Russia must go on, either through a negotiation process, which isn't a negotiation process, or alternatively, by planting fake stories in little little red newspapers like the Moscow Times. So, I mean, you know, that, that they are unable to change. It, it's, I mean, they may have what they think is a master plan, but ultimately what is driving this is sheer emotion. And the emotion is loathing of Russia. Remember what I always say about these people. These people have no reverse gear. They don't know how to pull back. If it doesn't work, they just go on trying. They, they just have no other way of responding to problems like the one they're facing with Russia and Ukraine now. All right, a, a loathing of Russia and a loathing of Ukraine because they're destroying Ukraine to destroy Russia in their minds. Yes, in exactly. Minds. That's how they're, they're working this. Okay, uh, thedoran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, and Rockfin. And go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.